Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is your reminder to register for our upcoming Gene Therapy Innovation Showcase taking place on February 18th. Visit ois.net forward slash events to claim your spot. And while you're there, click Get Involved to submit your information if you'd like to be featured on our podcast. What does it take to be successful within the ophthalmic industry? There isn't just one answer to this question. So sit back and listen to this week's guest, Break It Down. Robert Dempsey is the newly minted CEO at TearClear, an emerging ophthalmic pharma company aiming to disrupt the way current topical medications are delivered to the ocular surface. He sits down with our host, Dr. Paul Carpecki, to share what's next for TearClear and gives us ironclad takeaways from his professional journey that could help you master the space. Let's listen in. Welcome to the OAS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Carpecki. I practice in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm thrilled today to get to interview a, a great friend, but really someone who can add so much value to the understanding of eye care, um, and that is Bob Dempsey. Welcome, Bob. Pleasure, Paul. Really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for making the time. I know you're you sought after. Many people they look to you. You've been interviewed in OIS in the past. Did an incredible yes. job. You've you've uh, you know really have risen, and it seems like overnight, but it's not. I've known you a long time. I know all the way through your background and all that you've achieved. But it, but it is fascinating to see the the impact you've had on eye care. And I want to help the listeners understand. You know what steps are necessary to to achieve what you've achieved. I want to hear a little bit about your new role. CEO of, of TearClear and, and what that entails and what that's going to lead to. But let's start with, with understanding you as a, as a person, you know, growing up as a Bostonian, uh, how life was for you at the beginning and, and what led you into the field of eye care? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question. And, and again, while it's truly a pleasure to be here, I'm a big fan of OIS and Craig and the team. What they're doing and, and bringing the ecosystem together is, is, is really fantastic. So it's a pleasure to, to be on the OIS podcast. So a little bit of my background, started my career in um, way back in, at uh, Northeastern University, having done a uh, cooperative um, education in which you're in school for six months and uh, working. And, and I really broke into the pharmaceutical industry very early in my career um, upon graduating from Northeastern. And I really got my break in the eye care space uh, with Allergan, had a wonderful run at Allergan and, and had multiple roles and responsibilities. And, and I look back to those, those days with a tremendous amount of, um, of uh, happiness. Uh, proceeded to uh, take an opportunity with my good, my good buddy, uh, Jerry St. Peter, at, uh, and really had a great opportunity to inspire, which we really you know, launched that company into the ophthalmic space and uh, really gave me an opportunity to work in the startup space. You know, from that, we went to uh, Bosch and Loam and uh, had a wonderful run at, at, at B&L and uh, introduced me to some great people, Fleming Onskoff for one of them and, and, and Perry Sternberg, and uh, then got an invitation to, to join uh, Shire and, and really had a great run at Shire. Uh, went on um, kind of a risk. I mean, they didn't have an ophthalmology franchise, didn't have any interest in, in uh, eye care at first. And we were able to really have a great acquisition. And that was the acquisition of Sarcode. And with that, we got the molecule, Lafitagrass. And I was able to really build the franchise, um, both in the U.S. at first and then globally, and uh, apply the, the playbook across my entire career to building out 
Shire Ophthalmics and, uh, you know, launched that, that um, um, very exciting franchise, launched Zydra into both ophthalmology and optometry and uh, really had a great run there. Ultimately, we had the opportunity to divest that. And when you look back, initial acquisition, <clears throat> excuse me, of $160 million in divesting for over $5 billion all in was really, you know, a, a tremendous accomplishment by the team. And I really was fortunate to lead that uh, process. And then fortunately, having the opportunity to become the CEO of Tier Clear and taking, again, a lot of the learnings over my career and apply it here has been very exciting. So that's kind of the high level overview of what I've been able to do, Paul, and through the course of my career. That's fantastic, Bob. And it's true, you know, that was really one of the largest biopharma M&A deals um, and top 10 of all biopharma in 2019, certainly one of the top deals uh, ever in eye care. So congratulations. You have to, you learn a lot through each of these things that you're involved in and how you add value um, and, you know, and created that. Do you you have more of a preference now after having done everything in large companies, small companies? Do you you like the startups? Is that the space that you think you're meant for? Do Do you feel like it could be did you enjoy more of the larger? What's kind of, I mean, obviously right now you're in startup mode, but what, what do you yeah. enjoy the most? The you know, I think the startup mode really is, is uh, worked out very well for me. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, to, to have the big pharma experience, to have the, uh, you know, quote unquote, unlimited resources and the ability to, you know, get in early and, and build, which I, I love doing. But when you get into the startup space, it's a whole nother level of building. I mean, you have to be responsible for a lot of things, a lot more than you, you take for granted in, in, a, in a big pharmaceutical company. But the startup space, working with the board is obviously critical, setting the, the goals of the organization, the, the mission and, and, and everything we want to do as we, as we prepare the company for next milestones. And that's really the key in the startup space is to hit your inflection points, hit your milestones, and really then communicate to the investing community because that's what it's all about in the, in the startup space, moving the programs forward, achieving those inflection points, ensuring the investors are in, engaged and letting them know how you're going to proceed going forward. But the good news doesn't stop there. I've also had the opportunity to join some board positions. And that's where my expertise from a commercial perspective has been very valuable to these organizations. Oftentimes there is a founding scientist who really is extremely knowledgeable on the, on the R&D side or more importantly on the, on the clinical development side but bringing in that commercial expertise on how to prepare a talk track, how to um, communicate to the investing community, how to put together a pitch deck is critical because you need to have a systematic approach to raise money. So as the course of I, I uh, have you know, enhanced my career and, and enhanced my skill set, I really believe in the startup environment is really the opportunity to really have my, my biggest approach. Yeah, that's true. I think of, you know, your work you've done from early stage venture capital fundraising activities, uh, companies like Oasis, I think you played a key role in, in that, uh, Like I mean, it goes through a, quite a list and, and yeah. people I don't think recognize that's another one of your, your talents and, and abilities, I should say as well, in, in terms of understanding that space, how to develop it, how to do it, how to raise those so the company has a chance to get to the next level. But it's, it's interesting to have an individual who can, you know, have enough knowledge in so many areas, but I think as a startup, you kind of have to, because if you're good in only one, 
uh, that's the end of the role. You've got to go to the next and to the next. And so what are some of those gems that you've found in startups that have really made a difference? You mentioned the right scientific people. So obviously it's having people around you, but to someone who aspires to do that, um, who has maybe worked in, in big pharma now says, you know, I would love to do kind of what, what Bob does. What would you say have been some of the keys to, to the success that you've had thus far if they were to try to develop it? Yeah, Paul, it's a great question. And I think it, it, it really is, is twofold. Number one, it's the team. And number two, it's the, the breadth of knowledge. So I've been very fortunate to work with some great people, a Jerry St. Peter, an Amir Shojai, a, a Christa, uh, Christy Markowitz. These individuals are um, subject matter experts in their areas and having the opportunity to work with them, you know, when it comes to research and development, when it comes to clinical development, there's no one better in the ophthalmic space than Dr. Amir Shojai. Then from a standpoint of messaging, working with someone like Christy Markowitz to help provide the scientific messaging in a way that can be articulated in an effective manner. And you know, someone like Jerry, Jerry's been a great mentor to me. We have very similar personalities, but how he positions his organizations. And I've learned from great, great people and apply those principles. But there's pretty much all areas of the business I've been fortunate to learn. I mean, we, one that, you know, from a startup perspective, sometimes we take for granted is CMC. So I look at the individual that's on my team at Tearclear, Srini Vinkatesh, and his love of knowledge and expertise and how he meticulously plans and executes our, our, our development plan has been great. Or you take someone like a Kevin Hirschfield on my team, how he is so laser focused on operations or someone that has a financial background, like a Richard Harrison. These are individuals that are subject matter experts and I work with them, it's developing the team and then you develop the goals and objectives and build it going forward. But it all starts to having a broad base of, of information that allows me to apply that where I am in the startup space. Well, that's great. What allows you to have the energy level you have? I mean, you do you, do you go in with it's is it you have a good discipline and how you eat and you stay active and you still playing hockey? I I occasionally lace them up. Occasionally lace them up. Might, might be uh, skating uh skating this weekend, Paul. Just throwing it out there. Great to hear. Uh, yeah. Is it just the mindset that you have of hey, I want to learn as much and network? You know what what things allow you to go at the pace you go continuously for all the years I've known you. Um, it's probably the competitive uh, nature. Um, I always want to um, not just meet expectations, but exceed expectations. So very competitive, whether I'm you know, lacing them up on the weekend and, and, and playing uh, shinny hockey with, with the boys or, or playing old men's softball. Um, I apply those same principles to, uh, to you know, the work environment. And again, it's the team. And I've been very, very fortunate over the course of my career to work with some wonderful folks. And then you think of the professional community, you know, working with you and the fact that we have a long history working on multiple projects together, whether it's an Ed Holland, who is, you know, obviously one of the top surgeons that we all know, a Dick Lindstrom, a Ben Gaddy, an Art Epstein, and these diverse personalities and working with all of these individuals to develop those partnerships, but more importantly, the relationships. And it's probably something I cherish more than anything on the, over the course of my career. It's the relationships and the friendships I have with all of these individuals and how fortunate it is every day that I wake up that I have an opportunity to communicate with some of these guys and gals. It just, I mean, it's, it's, 
you really, you actually pay me to do this, to, <laughs> to lead an advisory board or lead a company. It's, it's something I feel very, very fortunate and blessed to have. I think that plays a role. That's a great answer. Speaking of which, you know, the, though now I think it's become commonplace, especially in the U.S., and, and optometry isn't the same globally, but, but certainly in the U.S., you know, they're responsible for about 88% of eye exams, primary eye care exams, that is, um, you know, different magnitude. But to be fair, I think you were really the first person that recognized the importance, especially in the area of dry eye disease, for example, of having kind of equal uh, opportunity, making sure that you had the right people. You'd have the same, at least three key MD advisors and three key OD or however the number was. You, you had meetings where the two were together, which actually had this incredible synergy that propelled, you know, Shire and Lafitograst. Um, you know, now it's starting to seem like that, but how did you, was it difficult? I mean, you had the vision, was there difficulty in being able to put that in place five or six years ago? Was there a lot of pushback? How did you know that that yeah. was something that would make such a difference at the time? Well, I wish it was five or six years ago, but it goes way back in my, in my professional career in which, you know, I was very fortunate to, to um, have carried the bag and, and called on ophthalmologists and called up on optometrists and looked at how the evolution of eye care was going. So we applied that principle at Inspire with my colleague, Joe Boyd, and we did some wonderful things there. We applied it at BNL with Rob Meiring. And then fortunately, as a guy that made all the calls at Shire, I said, we're going to launch into the ophthalmic space. It's going to be 50-50 MD and OD. And we're really going to invest and engage the optometric community. And I remember sitting down with you, Paul, with Art, with Ben, with Jack, and talked about, all right, here's our approach. What do you think? And the reaction we got was very positive. So then we didn't stop there. We would work with Vision Expo East, Vision Expo West, with SECO, with Review, with all of the ecosystem and optometry to let them know who Shire was, what our plan was, and the importance of engaging the optometric community, investing in the optometric community from an educational perspective and how we were going to approach it. And I remember saying once to you, Paul, you may remember, if optometry is not writing over 60% of all the medications, of all the prescriptions for Zydra, then we did something wrong. We, we knocked the ball out of the park. And I look at how we were going to differentiate ourselves as we entered the market. And we clearly did because we, we, we knocked the ball out of the park from an optometric perspective. Our blocking and tackling was in, in ophthalmology, but to really differentiate ourselves and engage the optometric community was a key to the success. And as I like to say, why the launch went vertical very, very early on. That's great. And I think at one point, I think you mentioned that the, perhaps at the hiatus, uh, the highest point, it was 68% prescriptions or something near that. Yeah, right? I mean, it, you're right on. And remember, Paul, there's 40,000 optometrists. Yes. And, and, you know, we had talked very early on in our career about um, the, the benefit of therapeutics and that optometrists that followed the therapeutic model were going to be key to success. So you look at what we're doing at Tier Claire. We're clearly going to be embracing the optometric community. But now that I have the opportunity with some of these board positions to show investors our approach, for example, with Oasis and the work that Alada is doing, the fact that we have a medical advisory board in which it's 50-50, 
it's optometry and ophthalmology. It's the new guard, it's the, it's the young guard. So we're bringing in this approach across multiple companies that will ensure that they're all successful. Because in the United States, both ophthalmology and optometry have the power to prescribe and you have to go after these uh, markets equally invest. And if you do, you can be highly successful. That's really well said. And I like the fact you brought up the old and new guard. You've got the old guard that are, have incredible experience, incredible, invaluable to a company. You mentioned, you know, great names like Dick and, and Ed and Eric, and, and on the optometry side, Ben, yeah. fortunate to be in that. But there is this young wave of superstars coming up too, that, that we need it. And, and it'll keep us, you know, the entire professions viable. And, and they seem to understand you know, the role of, of a surgeon, ophthalmologist and optometrist and work very well together also, uh, you know. So I, I think, you know, that allows for it to, I, I think, be synergistic to create a whole other level of value and for them to make a difference for these ophthalmic companies. Because uh, eye care is so unique in the sense of we're all trying to achieve the best for our patients. And yeah. if that means working together, that's what we'll do. If it means, you know, enhancing it, it means working with industry, which not every medical profession does. We have an incredible environment and, and people like you, of course, have played such a key role in that with your networking and your understanding and the inclusion uh, that you've allowed. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your plans for, for tier clear and of you, your, your vision, what you, you hope to achieve, not, not just in all the space of ophthalmics, but really as a, from a business standpoint, you know, what you see happening there, what you're excited about. Uh, you've got, an, of course, great team. You've got a great product. So go ahead and, and perhaps describe the product for those who are new to hearing about it. Um, I'm extremely excited about the potential of having yeah. drops without BAK being, you know, so focused on the ocular surface for so long. But let me have you describe it and then your goals and vision for the company. Yeah. So our goal is to disrupt the way topical medications are delivered to the ocular surface. And we want to do that by capturing preservatives before they approach the eye. We know, and it's well-documented in the literature, that prolonged use of BAK or preservatives in general will cause detrimental effects on the ocular surface. Our solution is to offer the smart preserve system and where we keep preservatives where they should be in the bottle, but not on the patient's ocular surface. So as we build this organization, our immediate focus is to bring Latanoprost to market that has the smart preserve system, where the preservative is in the bottle, but not on the patient's ocular surface. So from a near-term perspective, we just completed a pre-IND meeting, and now as a team, laser focus on opening up the IND at the midpoint of this year, and then shortly thereafter, executing our registration trial with our first patient, first visit, and move that patient, to, uh, move that program along but the good news doesn't stop there. We want to advance multiple programs, Paul. And on top of that, we're gonna have a pre-IND meeting for the combination of Timolol and Vermontidine. We believe as our first entrees into the space, again, MD, OD, we know optometrists prescribe a lot of glaucoma medications. We wanna embrace both of these communities. And as we advance our programs for Latanoprost, fall right behind that with a combination, and then being ready from an IND perspective for Timolol and Bermonidine will set this company up for success. So my vision is to move Latanoprost as quickly and aggressively as we can through the FDA process, initiate the registration trials for the combination, 
and move these other programs forward. We believe in the course of the next four to five years, we could have a launch every year of a new molecule to the, to the ophthalmic community. That's very exciting, but we don't wanna stop there. We also wanna think about beyond glaucoma. Where can our, our smart preserve system be used? Can it be used in anti-infectives and anti-inflammatories such as potentially dry eye medication or the numerous over-the-counter programs that we see for the treatment of dry eye disease? So our goal is to activate our R&D team now to execute on our glaucoma programs, but at the same time, go beyond glaucoma. So we have tremendous goals and objectives that we want to meet to add value to our investors, um, but also position the company for success. I love it. Really well said and summarized perfectly. So in the last few moments, any final comments that you may want to make that we didn't cover or other insights you'd like to share? I mean, you, you, you were very complimentary to, to um, the success I've had in my career. And I really want to, you know, if anyone wants to follow my footsteps, a little crazy, but learn as much as you can. Understand medical affairs, understand research and development, understand the regulatory process from the standpoint of what it takes to go through phase one, phase two, phase three, registration trial. And if you can understand that and apply solid business principles from a commercial perspective, you can be successful. And I've been very fortunate, again, over the course of my career to understand all of these areas. And that's what I think can, can lead to success. So lastly, continue to build relationships with some of the the best and brightest on the optometry side, on the ophthalmology side. And if you do that, you can be successful. Thanks, Paul. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful interviews. I would have expected that really, maybe even beyond that, came through in so much insight. Thanks for sharing so much that'll help so many people in our industry, those aspiring to, to do what you're doing, maybe to be a CEO of a startup, those that are in large pharma or small and what they could look at. There was value for pretty much everyone there. And certainly, you know, we, I'm grateful we, we have someone with your understanding in, in the field of eye care that can, can contribute, can make a difference, that can help so many of our patients. And you're doing it again today with all the companies you're part of. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the OIS podcast. And I was honored. And you know, Paul, you, you, you bring up something in closing. I always like to say eye care has been very good to me. It's really super important to give back. So having an opportunity from a philanthropic perspective to work with Sight Life and to work with something I'm extremely passionate about, the Holland Foundation for the Restoration of Sight. You know, I would urge all of us as an ophthalmic community to give back. There's so many things to do out there to give back. You know, I want to close with that little tidbit. Anyone interested in doing that, I would highly urge you to take advantage of this opportunity. Bob, thank you. Wonderful Thanks, interview. Paul. You're Thanks the best. Thank you, too. Talk Bye -bye. to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guest, Robert Dempsey, for sharing his journey and how it has informed his vision for TearClear's future. If you enjoy the OIS podcast, please subscribe, rate, and share with your colleagues to help spread the word. Until next week, keep innovating.